Olympic uh, fever is almost upon us. Some of us uh, can't wait. For others of us, we are dreading it. Are you into the games, I wonder? Uh, At St. Giles, we're getting ahead of the game. We've got our Olympic uh, games this afternoon uh, from sort of 12 o'clock after church. We've got our community event. We've been organizing for a while uh, a chance for the St. Giles uh, Olympics. Uh, first event is at 1.30 for those who are watching on television. Seriously, um, all are welcome. Chose uh, the readings this morning with the Olympics in mind. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he draws upon the imagery of an athlete training, uh, a boxer preparing uh, to expound what it means to live uh, the Christian life. He was using imagery which was familiar to his hearers. At the time of the early church, there were four Panhellenic games. There were the Olympic Games, the Corinthian Games, the Delphic Games, and the Nemean Games. What we now know as our modern Olympic Games uh, began 800 years before Christ. Four different cities each holding their games every four years. The Corinthians knew what it was like for their city to be invaded by athletes and their followers and attendants. Not sure if the M4 would be closed, but certainly there would be some disruption. Their life would be dominated for a few weeks by the sights of athletes and their crowds. And Paul picks up this theme, picks up this imagery, perhaps when he's writing, the games are in flow. And three things he says to those early Christian believers in Jesus. The first is this. Disciples need discipline. Christian disciples need discipline. I never used to be that interested in women's athletics. Then I discovered Jessica Ennis, and my interest level just went up a notch, as I think it did for quite a few 40-year-old men. I saw an article uh, written by her in the paper, talking about how she got into athletics. She went on her first athletics camp when she was just uh, 10 years old. At 11, she joined her local Sheffield Athletics Club. At 13, she got her first coach. At 15, 15, she decided she wanted to make a career out of being a professional athlete. She began to train seriously. At university, she trained virtually full-time, put her studies to one side. Her daily regime uh, doesn't falter uh, whatever day of the week it is. She rises early in the morning. She has a a small breakfast of orange juice and porridge. She goes down to the track and she begins to train. She works on her sprinting, on her hurdling, on her high jump. Dinner is a ham salad sandwich. This is why I couldn't be an Olympic athlete. I couldn't live on ham salad sandwiches. After lunch, it's into the gym. She works on shot put, she works on throwing, she works on her strength work. She stays there till six o'clock. Six o'clock, she has a massage. She goes home. Seven o'clock, she has stir fry. If she's been good, she has a glass of wine. 
Eight o'clock, she takes the dog for a walk, and then she goes to bed. Next day, she wakes up and heads down to the track. She says, when I wake up in the morning, my body screams at me, don't get out of bed. She lives a disciplined life. She lives an ordered life. Paul writes to the church, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. I became a Christian when I was uh, 17. I had no uh, church background, uh, very little knowledge of the Bible, didn't have many Christian friends. I think the first time I entered a church uh, after I was uh, baptised as a baby was the, the, the day that I became a Christian. Someone explained to me the good news of Jesus Christ. It fitted into place with what I'd read in a little Gideon's Bible, and I committed my life to follow him and became a Christian. I was immediately filled with a sense of joy and peace and purpose. It was uh, euphoric. It was like winning a gold medal. I went home in an excited state, told my parents what had happened, and I said, it will will soon uh, pass. Over the following weeks, actually, the sense of joy did pass. The sense of peace did pass. The sense of God being very close uh, did dissipate. And I began to wonder, what has gone wrong? And I spoke to an older, wiser Christian, a Christian coach, if you like. He said to me, well, you need to read the Bible regularly, not just on a Sunday. You need to spend time in prayer regularly. You need to find ways to share your faith. You need to give to the church in terms of your gifts and your money and your time. You need to make some good Christian friends who can journey with you on this Christian life. In short, he said, you need to discover a sense of spiritual discipline. And he was right. And I did all of those things. And as I did those, the sense of joy returned. Moments of euphoria uh, came back. But that deep, abiding sense of the presence of God in my life came back. We associate discipline with being told off. If you see a parent disciplining their child, uh, they're likely to be having a strong word, if not slapping a leg. The original word for discipline actually means to order one's time that you may learn. To give order that you may learn. Teachers know that children only learn in a classroom where there is discipline, where there is good order. Christians only grow in their faith, grow in their knowledge and experience of God, where there is some sense of order in their Christian life. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Disciples need discipline. Disciples also need to keep their eyes on the prize. Again, Paul writes to this little church in this uh, Corinthian city overtaken by the games. Those athletes, those runners, those boxers... They do it for a crown that will not last, but we do it for a crown that will last forever. 
Corinthian athletes, Delphic athletes, Olympian athletes were serving soldiers who trained hard from the games. They might be free men who'd given up a career to enter the arena. Some were men and women who had been schooled from a young age in the martial arts that they might take part in these games. They had one aim in view, one prize that was worth all the hardship, that they might win a laurel crown, a wreath of laurel leaves that would be placed upon the head of the winner and they would parade through the town at the end of the games. could be a doorway to fame and fortune. Laurel wreaths rot after a few weeks. The crown that Paul talks about lasts forever. Bradley Wiggins, triple gold medalist in Beijing for cycling, has spent a year in training. He's been living at the top of a volcano in Tenerife. Every day he cycles free wheels down the volcano and then he rides back up it to the top. Cycles up a volcano in intense heat at altitude. Does it twice a day, every day. Keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. Does it for a year. He has three gold medals. Why does he do this? He has his eyes on a prize. The famed yellow jersey of the Tour de France. Everything he does is geared to that one goal, winning the yellow jersey. Everything is worth it for achieving that one goal, winning the Tour de France. Paul writes to a church that is struggling and undergoing hardship, remember, it's worth it for the prize you will receive. Our reading this morning is from the first letter to the Corinthians, but Paul wrote a second letter, and in it he writes these words. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Why is this? How can this be? How in all the troubles and trial of life, the hardship life brings, how can he say these words? What keeps him going? We believe and we therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with him. We believe because we know that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us with him. Doubts come. Friends fail. Worship sometimes doesn't lift us. God on occasion is distant. We all have moments where we think, why am I doing this? Is it worth it? I could just go to Nero's on a Sunday. I could just lie in bed. Paul reminds us of the hope that is set before us. Paul reminds us of the crown that will not fade. He reminds us that this life is not all that there is. 
but that we are inheritors of eternal life, a life that lasts into eternity. Paul reminds us that those who know Christ will spend eternity with him. In a kingdom where there is no more sickness or death, no more tears or weeping, where God is close to and dwells among his people, in a realm that will last forever. He reminds us that all things will be made new. And we who are Christians know the first fruits of this new creation. Paul reminds us of the hope that is set before us, the prize that awaits us, eternity with Christ. And thirdly and finally, Paul gives those first Christians a warning. I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Remember the World Championships in Daegu, World Athletic Championships? The world watched with bated breath as Usain Bolt uh, settled in the blocks. The final of the men's 100 meters, the pinnacle of athletic achievement. Would he break his world record? The starter got the gun ready. And just as he was about to let the starting signal go, the runners left their blocks. False start. Usain Bolt was disqualified. The race restarted. Usain Bolt didn't take part. Uh, it was won by Han Blake, his compatriot. Uh, Walter Dix, who uh, is an American runner, came second. He won silver. After the race, he said this. I didn't think they were going to kick him out. This is Usain Bolt. It's pretty hard to keep Usain out of the race. Pretty hard, but the rules are clear. One false start, and you are disqualified. found out this morning that one of our um, members of our 8 o'clock service uh, is a Paralympic uh, referee and is friends with the uh, referee who refereed that uh, race uh, in Daegu and was actually the man who made the decision to disqualify Usain Bolt. And he said to me, and we had a chat about it this morning, he said, that referee man called Alan Ball said it was the hardest and the easiest decision of my refereeing career. He had clearly transgressed and therefore he was disqualified. Paul reminds us that we can be disqualified from the Christian race. I've preached to others, I discipline myself, that I myself will not be disqualified. What does this mean? How will God disqualify us? Well, it doesn't happen in an instant. It doesn't happen after one minor indiscretion. 
It doesn't happen after a false start. The psalmist writes, Our lives flourish like a flower in the field, and when the wind goes over it, it is gone. But the merciful goodness of the Lord lasts forever. The truth is, God will disqualify no one from the Christian life. But he allows us to disqualify ourselves. He allows us to walk away from the track. He allows us to throw in the towel. He allows us to withdraw from the competition. As Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plough and turns back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. He will let us drop out. He'll let us fall away. He'll let us disqualify ourselves. He'll let us reject him and walk away from the race of life. He'll let us do these things, but he longs for us to return. Jesus told a story of two sons, both who loved their father. One was good and honest and upright. The other was profligate and wasteful. The prodigal son takes his father's inheritance and runs away to a foreign land, rejects his father and disqualifies himself from the family farm. With tears in his eyes, the father lets him go. The son makes a mess of his life. He messes up in every way imaginable. And when he's run out of all his money, uh, he's eating the food of the pigs, he, in the words of the Bible, comes to his senses, wakes up, and returns to his father. Perhaps, he hopes, perhaps he'll take me back as a servant. In the story that Jesus tells, the father is looking longingly for his son. Each day he looks out to the horizon in the hope that he will return. He sees him far off, gathers up his robes and runs towards him. He throws his arms around his son, the son who was lost and now is found, embraces him and brings him home. He invites him back into the team and they start the race again together. As the Olympics flashes before our eyes on the TV screens, as we can't escape it outside of church, and I think uh, today inside of church, be reminded of these three things. Disciples need discipline. We work for a crown that will not fade. Do not allow yourself to be disqualified. And if you fear you might be, run back with all your heart. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for these words of Paul. Words to a church in a distant land a long time ago, but by your Spirit, words to us today. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you would seal them 
on our hearts.